take your Bible with me and we're going to go to the last book of the Bible and the last chapter of the Bible. So I'll let you figure out where we're going. It is my position that I believe that the church will not go through the tribulation period, that we will be called home prior to that. That'll be pretty much the last major Christian event that takes place before the tribulation begins. Now, whether the tribulation will instantly begin at the rapture of the church or not, I'll leave that with the Lord, but I know it will come soon after. I believe there will be a seven-year period of tribulation, at which time, at the end of that seven years, our Lord will come back and cast Satan into the bottomless pit, where he will, if it's bottomless and it's a pit, I would say he's going to be falling, and be falling for a thousand years. I can't imagine that, nor can I, but if God says it, that makes it so. I mean, God can make a big enough pit. And so he'll be there for that thousand years while Jesus sets up his millennial kingdom on the earth. And that millennial kingdom will be a wonderful experience, especially for those who are saved, and a wonderful opportunity for people to get saved. And it's hard to believe, but it's really going to happen, that in that millennial kingdom and millennial time, there will be people that still refuse to accept Jesus as Savior. After that, we will see... Satan brought back up, he will be judged, cast in the lake of fire, the great white throne judgment will take place, and then eternity will begin. Now that's my position. I want to share this afternoon reasons why I believe the church will not go through the tribulation period. Now if you look at the tribulation period, you have to define what you believe it's going to be. It's going to be a seven-year period. I don't think many people would differ on that position. But what is the purpose of it? I personally believe that it's a time when God is going to be working more in Israel and his people. It'll be worldwide, but it will be focused on Israel and God doing this and judging them and bringing them to a place where they will accept Jesus as Messiah as a nation. That's never happened. It's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Now, that's what I think is going to happen. So I want to share with you reasons why I believe. I have in my introduction seven, instead it should be six, but believing that the church will be raptured out before the tribulation period must have more than just a hope to escape the horrible time on earth as its basis. And I don't hold that position because I think that's the best place to be, so I won't have to go through it. Because if I'm wrong and the church does go through the tribulation and I'm alive, then I would have to go through it. So that's a very poor reason to, to say, well, I believe in the, the rapture of the church before the tribulation period. But I believe God's made us some promises. And I think there's some things that he is doing specifically for his church to avoid that. And that's my basis for that. The first one I have for you is the scripture seems to teach an imminent return of Christ. Imminent meaning at any moment. So if we believe that Jesus is going to come in the middle of the tribulation or after the tribulation, then it wouldn't be an any moment return. I have some references for you, and we'll look at some more here, especially in the book of the Revelation. Philippians 3, 17 through 20. These verses that we have in the notes are quoted from the Christian Standard Bible. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. 
For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, and they have focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the phrase, we eagerly await, carries the idea of, I know he's coming and I'm looking for it. Not, well, I know he's coming, but I have to wait till the middle of the tribulation or wait till the end of the tribulation. No. It's the idea of eagerly waiting for his return. I've given you some other references. I'll let you look at those later. Point B, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves report, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica about the report he's received about these people. He says, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait. And the word wait literally means to expect and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And there we see some things that people, you know, I'm not going to labor this point, but just to say that I believe that these verses show that not only is Jesus going to come and take us home to be with him, but he's also delivering us from wrath that's coming. As this verse says here in the second point that I have for you, 1 Thessalonians 9 to verse 10, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Then we have 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, which you'll, you can look up. But in Revelation chapter 22, verse number 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to every man according to his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. And the word quickly is the idea of suddenly. It's not, okay, I know he's coming, and there he is. It's, he's coming suddenly. I come quickly. Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is not the only place this word is used. Go back with me to chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 5. We're getting into the letters to the churches. And in chapter 2, verse 5, the letter to the church at Ephesus, he said in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have something against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, 
Or if you don't straighten up, I'm going to come. And when I come, it's going to be suddenly. It's not I'm going to give you an announcement. I'm going to let you know in advance. I'm going to come. And I'm going to remove the candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Look at verse 15 to the church at Pergamos. So hath thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. It's God saying, okay, here's a problem I see, address it, and if you don't address it, I'm going to come. And when I come, it's going to be unannounced. It's going to be suddenly. It's going to be quickly. There are other references. Chapter 3, verse number 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. In other words, verse 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them to dwell that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. In other words, I'm coming suddenly. I'm going to come at a time when you're not expecting it. So since you're anticipating, and I want you to anticipate my coming, I want you to hold fast that which you have, that no man take your crown. It's not a, okay, here's a definite date, here's a definite period of time. It's, I'm coming. I'm giving you a warning in advance that I'm coming, but I'm going to come quickly. Look at uh, chapter 11, verse 12. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in the cloud, and their enemies beheld them. At the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain men, 7,000, and the remnant was frightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. This is the second woe that is past. Behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there, was a, there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. Verse 14, This is the second woe that is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Again, suddenly, it's coming, not necessarily right on the heels, but it's, it's coming and it's coming quickly. And it's this concept of this sudden action that's going to take place. And the Lord is giving this information out to the people so they know it's coming, that they don't get caught off guard, that they're prepared for it. If we believe in an imminent return of Jesus, that he could come at any moment, I would hope it would be a motive to us to cause us to want to live more faithfully and more steadfast so that if he came today, I'm not going to be caught off guard. I'm not going to be doing something that I shouldn't be doing because I know he's coming. He's told me that, but he's coming at any moment. So we see, first of all, that the scripture seems to teach an imminent return of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the scriptures distinguish between the church and those who go into and through the tribulation. Point A, the New Testament church is the body of Christ and is being made up of Jews and Gentiles, the community of Christian believers as described in, and let's go to Romans chapter 12. Paul is very, very involved in describing the body of Christ in his writings. As you see, I have several references there for you. We are not going to look at all of them, but they're there for you to look up. But in chapter 12, 
Verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So here we see this description of the body of Christ, the New Testament church. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. And again, we're looking just at Paul's describing the body of Christ, the New Testament believers, as something unique and special. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is therefore not of the body. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is therefore not of the body. And he goes on and describes that the whole body cannot be an eye and the whole body cannot be an ear. That God has placed in this body, each one of us as a part of the body of Christ, and each one of us have our individual abilities and capabilities in serving in that body of Christ. And not everybody can be a preacher. Not everybody can be a Sunday school teacher. Not everybody can work with children. Not everybody can work with senior citizens. But God has given us all that we need to have a completed body, which is the bride of Christ. So we see the New Testament church is described that way. In the tribulation period, point B, God's focus seems to be on the nation of Israel and preparing them for the millennium. Therefore, the church is removed from the earth. In Revelation 4 through 19, we have the description of the tribulation period. The church is not mentioned. Chapter 1 through 3, the church is there. It's mentioned, seven different churches. Chapter 4, as we enter into the description of the tribulation, the church is not mentioned. Yet frequently it's mentioned in other New Testament books by name as the church or the body of Christ. The epistles, point D, bear little or no comfort for a church going through the tribulation period. Instead, they frequently teach there is no condemnation to those who are in the body of Christ. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. To me, this seems to be one of the strongest verses that we hold to showing that the church will not go through the tribulation period. If the tribulation period is going to be a time of God's judgment on sin, and we believe that Jesus has already taken our judgment for sin, why would we be called to go through that judgment period again? Now, we know believers today suffer because of sin and the wickedness that's in the world. We know that. We know that Christians give their lives as martyrs in this day in which we live. 
But we're not talking about the, being in the tribulation period now. This is not the tribulation period by any means, any stretch of the imagination. If you read what's going to happen in the tribulation, you'll understand this is not the tribulation. This is not the first half of the tribulation we're going through. It's not there. That's yet to come. It's going to be a different time on earth than we've ever experienced before. But if that is a time of God's judgment on sin and sinners, our judgment has already been taken by Jesus. Why would we have to go through another judgment if Jesus bore our judgment in our behalf? And here Paul says this clearly. There is therefore now no judgment, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, I know there are people that say that's a weak argument and they'll explain it away. And that's fine. If they want to hold to that position, that's fine. But I don't hold that. I believe that verses like this make it very clear that Jesus bore our judgment so that the New Testament believer would not have to bear that judgment. And again, I don't say that as a way of escaping wrath upon sin. I don't say that as a hope to, to escape having to go through a difficult time because that's a weak reasoning for holding to a rapture prior to the tribulation period. Look at verse number 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, at all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And again, some would say, see, this is telling us that even going through these difficult times in the tribulation period, God's love is going to be prevalent in our lives. That's true. I believe that will be the case for those that are saved in the tribulation period, the tribulation saints. But Paul, as he wrote this, was a man who had gone through severe chastening and punishment and persecution for his faith. And he's giving a testimony I have experienced that nothing that's happened to me has been able to separate me from God's love. In all of that, I've held to the truth and believed and experienced God's love in my life during all the persecution that I've gone through. And I believe that when we take this into the realm of future events, and some do, we need to be careful. I'm looking at it at a present realm that Paul assures the New Testament church of God's deliverance and God's love and God's protection for his own. And the fact that Jesus has already taken my judgment, I don't have to go through another judgment or that the New Testament church will go through another judgment. So we see that the Bible talks about the Lord Jesus suffering in our behalf and the epistles give us comfort during this life that we live. And yes, the believers in the tribulation that are saved will go through and experience the same scripture that we have and we'll hold to it then. But I believe that we will be delivered from it. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 9. For God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain deliverance by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us 
that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So God has not appointed us to wrath. And I personally believe the tribulation period is going to be a time of God pouring out his wrath on the earth. I believe that. I believe that Revelation teaches that. And if God has delivered us from wrath to come, and the New Testament church from wrath to come, then the church isn't going to be here when that wrath happens. Point E, the persecution mentioned in the epistles that the church is required to go through has no comparison to the trouble and persecution that's described in Revelation chapter 4 through chapter 19. If you haven't read it, read it. It's going to be unbelievable, the punishment, the, the, the trouble that the church is going to go through. Now, again, there are people that believe the church will go through the first half of it, and then they'll be raptured out. What's the benefit? What does it do for the church? What's the purpose of it? You know, I, I just don't see that. That, again, as I said in the beginning, this is reasons that I believe the church will not go through the tribulation. Three, the scripture teaches that the tribulation period is a time of God's wrath and punishment for the unbelieving who are on the earth. Look at Revelation chapter 6, verse number 15. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondsman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and the, and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Again, this is going to be a horrendous time of God's judgment on the earth, on the sin of the earth, on the sinners of the earth, those who have never trusted Jesus as their Savior. So believing that God sent his Son to take our judgment for us so that his bride would not have to go through that. And if you read the New Testament, especially the epistles, you'll see that the Scripture teaches that there is a bride of Christ. There is a body of Christ. And that is a unique body. Jesus came to be the Messiah, the Messiah that the Old Testament people had put their faith in that was coming, and the Messiah for those who yet were to be born or who were living in that time to put their faith in as he has come. But the body of Christ is a unique body, which fortunately for us, we are part of. The church seems to have begun, and I hold to this, that it began in, in chapter 2 of Acts, and we'll go to the time, the church age, begin there, and we'll go to the time of the rapture of the church. And that will be the bride of Christ. But again, Christ having taken our condemnation, there are other verses that promise in the New Testament that give us comfort to the church, not warning us of wrath or persecution to come. Look with me at John chapter 14, a very familiar passage of Scripture. But it's very clear and it applies. It, we use this to apply it to ourselves. Yes, Jesus is writing to a particular group of people. But the application of it applies to us as New Testament believers. Let not your heart be troubled. I meet with a couple and the lady was raised to believe that the church would be raptured out before the tribulation. I don't know to whom she has been listening 
And over the years, she's changed her position to believing that the church will go into and through the tribulation period. And I said, why do you believe that? Just because of the things I've read and what I believe the scripture is teaching? She said, I wish I could hold to the position that you hold to. I wish I could believe that. I was raised to believe it that way, but I don't hold to that. And that's fine. But what I see in that woman is a troubled heart. She's troubled. It troubles her to think that the church is going to go into and through part of, if not all, the tribulation period. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. But first of all, I want you to know that you're probably going to go through the tribulation first. No. Let not your heart be troubled. You know, people want to complicate. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep the truths of Scripture simple. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians, a very familiar passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, verse 4. Uh, let's uh, back up. Verse number one to get the context. But of the times and seasons, brother, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So again, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, in which he talks to them about the rapture of the church in the preceding chapter, says, I want you to be comforted. This day of the Lord, this time of judgment that's coming, don't worry about it. It's not going to overtake you as a thief in the night. Keep your confidence in Christ and your hope in Christ and be comforted in Christ. And there are many other verses in the New Testament that seem to be verses of application for comfort to us as New Testament believers. And then a thought here in 2 Corinthians, but point five, there must be a time in the end, for the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb, as Jesus before Christ returns with his bride. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. In Revelation 19, you have a reference there to the marriage the bride and the marriage supper of the bride. And many refer back to Matthew 22, where the king provided a time for his bride 
for the meal and he invited people. Many did not come, and in his wrath, he turned them away and he invited the poor, the, the needy, into that marriage supper, showing a semblance of the, the sinner that gets saved and the need of salvation, and they come to Christ, and they are part of that special, special time. But when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, I want to again refer you to something that we just looked at. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 said, There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. No judgment. Say, well, we're going to, we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ here in 2 Corinthians. Yes, we are. But it's not a time where we will be judged. Our judgment was taken at Calvary. We are not going to be judged. But what we have done in this life as a Christian will go on judgment, not for the purpose of condemnation, but for the purpose of reward. It'll be a good judgment seat. It won't be going before the judge to decide whether he's going to fine you for speeding or not. You know, maybe he's going to let you off. Maybe he won't. We're going to stand before Jesus as the judge of what we have done for him. And Paul talks about some Wood, hay, stubble, precious stones, gold, things that will burn and things that will not burn. Those things that do not burn, we'll receive a reward for. Those that burn, we suffer the loss. Some are going to make it. It says, so as by fire. The idea being there, they're going to enter heaven, a smell of smoke from the fire on their garments, but with no rewards or very little rewards. So what do we do with all this? Number one, you have to define your position. You have to decide what you hold to as the coming of the Lord and whether you or the church will go through the tribulation. One thing we know for sure is going to happen and God's going to make it clear to all of us when it does happen. And whether we were right or wrong won't matter. It's going to play out just as God has said it will be. And he will clearly define in Scripture. All these positions that have been held to over many years will all come into understanding and everybody will be on the same page in how the end times play out because it will be there. If we're part of the bride of Christ, we'll be on a good side because no matter what happens, we're going to have the protection of Jesus because he has suffered in our behalf that we will not have to suffer. But while we wait for his return, and I look for his return every day, do you think he's going to come today? He could. He could. Will he come today? It's up to the father when he comes. And when the father says, okay, son, go get your bride, then Jesus will come and get his bride. And we'll see the rapture of the church. We'll see the dead in Christ rise first, and we'll call up to meet them in the air. But while we're waiting on that, we don't become so occupied with how it's all going to happen and not live out our life today for Jesus. We let God take care of eschatology. And we just live for the Lord now. There are more verses in the New Testament for the New Testament church on how to live their daily life than there are about the rapture of the church. And so we need to be busy serving our Father, living for Jesus, and doing what He has called us to do, being that part of the body that He's called us to be. 
and let him take care of everything else. But it's neat to be able to study this. It's an area that I feel very, very uh, inadequate in. I know what I believe, and I believe I can back it up by Scripture. But it's one of those things that we just have to trust God with. Trust him with it. Don't worry about it. He's got it all taken care of. Just live for him this week. Be what he's called you to be, and you'll be glad you did come next Sunday, Lord willing, if he hadn't come to take us home. Let's pray. Father, help us to walk with you and for you. Help us to be all that you have called us to be. Help us to serve you in a way that would glorify you. We pray, Father, that you will guide and direct us as we look at these notes or if we choose to study them further, read these other references. We just pray that you'll give us your understanding. We know you do all things well. We know you make no mistakes. We know, Father, that you have told us clearly that the church is going to be taken out. We have this very clearly laid out for us in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4. And we look forward to that time when it will happen. And thank you that we have the assurance if we're on the earth, we will be alive and alerted to the fact you're coming quickly. And we will be called up to meet you in the air. And if we have passed on, if our bodies have stopped functioning, this house in which we live has been buried in the grave. And we are with you that we will be reunited with our bodies as the scripture teaches in these passages. But we look forward to that day. It will be a glorious day. We will have a perfected body and we will know joy and happiness and sinlessness for all eternity. And so help us as we wait for Christ's return. And Lord, as John said, even so come Lord Jesus. The time for us would be great now if you came. But if you choose to wait and we go through this week, may we go through it with victory. May we go through it serving you, focused on being what you've called us to be and leaving the end times with you. So thank you for loving us. Thank you for the hope we have in Christ. And thank you, God, that we can trust our future and our eternity to your all capable hands. And we do so in Christ's name. Amen.